right, so we're going to make a hard shift into something else here uh, in this session and uh, <clears throat> maybe introduce it this way. Uh, I would say that apart from the gospel itself in a 1 Corinthians 15 sort of way, that what we're going to consider here in this session has had... Uh, nothing has had a greater influence in our own family life than the matters that we're going to consider here today. And we're going to, we're going to consider the doctrine of divine providence. And by way of introduction, I guess I would say this, is that I had completed all of my seminary education and had been ministering God's word for a few years before this doctrine really was clear in my mind. And that makes me want to teach on it a lot. I mean, if I can go through seminary and not get the importance of this, then I just kind of assume that it's maybe it's like that for other people too, to hear a word thrown about but not understand its implications. And the doctrine of divine providence, as I'm going to define it here and take you through scripture, the doctrine of divine providence is what gives you a mind for parenting. It's what gives you an underlying, ongoing confidence that God is at work and is accomplishing good things no matter what is happening before your eyes at any given particular point in time. And you must understand that if your view of life is being, is if you are assessing life and the direction of life by what is happening in any given season of life, you are in a very vulnerable position. If things seem to be going good and you say, oh, great, God's at work, things are going well. And that's the standard by which you evaluate it you are set up for failure, disappointment, discouragement, and doubt when things inevitably start to not go well. Because it is inevitable that trials will come. It says in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, we need to have a perspective that gives us strength and faith and understanding and confidence, regardless of whether we're in a season of outward blessing or a season of outward trial, what's the common unifying thing in all of those? And that unifying aspect is the doctrine of divine providence. Let me give you a definition, a definition of divine providence to start out. I'll say it a couple of times because it's, it's a little bit uh, long, but it's it's crucial and every word is every word is important god divine providence means this god continually upholds his entire creation god continually upholds his entire creation and sovereignly works in absolutely everything that happens God continually upholds his entire creation 
and sovereignly works in absolutely everything that happens and thus directs all creatures and events to accomplish his purposes. <laughs> you get that? <laughs> what? What? What's this? Let me go through it one more time, maybe two. Just hold up your hand if you need me to slow down, because I do want you to get this. This is fundamental. In some ways, this is at the core of everything uh, that we're saying today. God continually upholds his entire creation and sovereignly works in absolutely everything that happens. And thus directs all creatures and events to accomplish his purposes. We got it? Okay. Now, I'm going to scripturally justify that statement in the next hour. Let me say this, is that divine providence lays a foundation for your approach to parenting. And those of you with children a little more advanced in life, perhaps adults that have come out and aren't following the things that you instructed them in, the doctrine of providence is your refuge, particularly when you remember that the God who, who, divine, who divinely governs everything in the universe is the same God of this eternal, sovereign, infinite, great, sacrificial love that we talked about last night. The God who is overall is the God who sovereignly loves you like that. And that means that everything that is happening in your life and everything that happens in your family somehow maybe in ways that you cannot possibly understand, are an exercise of God's sovereign love toward you that he intends to use to bring good to you and glory to his name in the end. There are no exceptions to that whatsoever. Maybe some of you, like some in my congregation, have buried infants, and you know the heartache of that. Or like others in my congregation, you have, you have children who have just walked away and have broken your heart because they've walked away from Christ. And you know something about that. And we're talking here, and I want to be very sensitive and very tender in what I say. I'm not naturally that way. But my, my heart is tender toward you in what we're talking about here today is to realize that, that, that without being explicit with one another, that we are laying the most sensitive things of our lives and the, the most important, deepest concerns of our heart on the table with what we're talking about here in this particular session because divine providence gives you a mind for parenting. And it's not easy to come to a, an understanding of divine providence. This isn't immediately apparent. It takes some work, some spiritual work. It takes some effort. It takes some prolonged meditation on several different themes in Scripture to come to an understanding of it. 
just recently I taught on divine providence in our own church for the second time in a period of about seven years, at most seven years. That's how important I think it is. I teach it repeatedly to my own congregation, sometimes repeating messages with little bits of variations, sometimes saying the same things in different ways. This is so critical to Christian living that it needs to be said and emphasized again and again and again. Why? Because you and I were slow to learn. This, it's, not easy to have, it's not easy to get our minds around this. And even worse, you and I are slow to trust. We're slow to trust this God that we know, even though he's manifested his love toward us in an irrefutable way at the cross. We can't look at the cross and deny the love of God. Because in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It was in love that Christ gave himself on your behalf, in your place, in your stead, at the cross. Now, if he did that, then it's obvious that he loves you in in an eternal way that bears no exceptions. So God's love is settled and established. But you and I are slow to trust that. We're still vulnerable to the whispers of the tempter that says, did God really say, is God really like that? Can you really trust him here? And so the only way that we can answer that is to come to a solid understanding of who God is and what he does. I think about it this way. Studying divine providence is like preparing a piece of ground for gardening. You move rocks, you dig, you hurt your back, you ache at night, you plant, you weed. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. There's a lot of different aspects that go into it. And we all understand, even if we don't personally garden, we all understand that there is a process that's involved. There is work and there is patience that is involved you don't immediately get the fruit of it from the, you know, the next day after you put the seed in the ground. We understand that, but we also know that it's worth the effort. Studying divine providence is like that. It takes some hard work at the start, but I want to tell you that the fruit of it in the, harv- in the spiritual harvest that it brings to your heart and understanding is worth the fruit of it. And so we have this definition of divine providence. God upholds his entire creation and directs all creatures and events to accomplish his purposes. What I want to do in this message is to just kind of walk through that with you in ways that I have found helpful over the years. Let's consider it from this perspective, first of all. God's providence is broad. God's providence is broad. And when we say that God's providence is broad, we mean that God's providence covers everything that has ever happened, that is happening now, and that will ever happen everywhere in the universe. Everything in the created order is under the hand of divine providence. And since we've been in the book of Ephesians, let's go back there to chapter 1. Uh, for a moment. And we cover these things really briefly. 
And as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 1, let me just say this by way of, uh, by way of encouragement, is that this is something that you don't grasp immediately after hearing a message one time. These are things that if you would bear, want the fruit of them, you need to go back to them and repeat them, l- review these verses again and again and again, maybe hear the message again and again. These are things that require repeated passes through in order to really grasp them. And so I'm just introducing you. I'm, I'm kind of like an old broken-down guide that's pointing you in the direction to where the mountaintop is. Here's the path to follow, but I can't take you there myself. I'm not your pastor. I'm not here to teach you. I'm just just pointing you in a direction and trusting the Spirit of God to motivate you to pursue this for yourself. I promise you that the mountaintop, the views from the mountaintop are spectacular. But for you to get there, you're going to have to climb the mountain yourself with your own time and effort and meditation. God's providence is broad. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. It says that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in Christ with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who, what does God do? He does this. He works all things after the counsel of his will. Now, beloved, it's easy. I know that many of you have read that passage a hundred times or more, and you've read through it. And the familiarity of it actually almost works, as a, works against you in coming to understand the fullness of what it says. Well, I've, said, I've read this a hundred times. What more could there be for me to see? Well, what I want you to see is, is how broad and comprehensive it is in what it says. Look at it, verse 10 with me again. The summing up of all things in Christ He expands that. He breaks it down into two parts, things in the heavens and things on the earth. That's comprehensive. That's as broad as it gets. Verse 11, he works all things, and he works them after the counsel of his will. And so Paul is making a breathtaking assertion of what God does in the created order, and he says that he works all things after the counsel of his will. Every creature, every man, every action, every animal, it all fits within that. And you see that phrase in verse 10, the summing up of all things. I like that word. It means to to summarize something. It's a summary that brings a focal point to the end of the speech. You can think about it this way. You know, if you're not familiar with the legal process, you've seen it at least on television, an attorney makes a closing argument at, before, at the, before a case is submitted to the jury. And what does he do in that? He takes and he weaves together all of the evidence that has been presented and gives them a sense of understanding of how the individual parts fit together in a way that, that as the attorney is persuading the jury, he says, this is why you should give 
a verdict in favor of my client because here is how all of the evidence fits to come to this focal point. You should declare my client not guilty because the evidence has pointed you in that way. To sum up means it shows how each part relates to the complete argument, you could say. How does that apply to divine providence and what we're talking about here this weekend? Well, what Paul is saying here in the broadest possible way, he's saying that God moves everything in the universe to his predetermined end so that everything that ever happens would result in praise to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And God works all things. Oh, watch this, beloved. This is so important. God works all things so that nothing thwarts his plan. Nothing interferes with the outcome that he has determined. Look at it there with me again in verse 11. He works all things after the counsel of his will. Now, Paul is not specific in what he's stating here. He is simply stating God's control in the broadest possible sense. Now, several Bible passages affirm this. And as Scripture interprets Scripture, we see Scripture affirming this in other places. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, Psalm 103, verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. You're in Ephesians. Turn a couple of books to the right, or if you're working off your personal device, scroll down to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Speaking of Christ, it says that he is the image, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That means that he has the highest rank in creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is holding all things together, and you just see the the comprehensive, exhaustive nature of what Paul says here. All things, verse 16. All things, again in verse 16. All things, verse 17. All things in verse 17. Four times in those two verses, he is asserting the sovereignty of Christ over all things in the universe, whether we see them or whether we don't, visible or invisible. Everything has been created through him and for him. He is over it all. And so God's providence is broader even than you could possibly imagine. The stars orbit because God directs them in that manner. Your arms stay attached because God is upholding everything in the universe. Your chair is holding you up because God is sustaining it. And we could go on forever 
literally forever we could go on talking about details in this way. God's problem is broad as you can possibly imagine. Now, at this point, I think that many of you, if not most, if not all of you, would say a hearty amen. Say, I believe that, Pastor. Amen. When do we move on to something else? What I've found is the challenge on a, on a personal level, the challenge when it comes to living this out and having it actually control the direction of your thinking is that we have a way of not working it through all, to all of the details. In other words, if we just stopped here and said God is over all and his providence rules over all, you could say, you could say amen to that but fail to work it through into the details that actually affect you in your daily life. You know, we talk about it in the stars orbiting. Well, that's great. Well, you know, what about my parenting? What about my children? And what about the fact that they just got diagnosed with cancer or something like that? And, and we, we tend to divorce in our minds the reality that, uh, that God's providence is overall and somehow we never quite connect it to the difficult things that are happening in life, even the very things that are breaking our hearts. And so, that brings us to our second point here that you need to see, is that God's providence is detailed. Point number one was that God's providence is broad. We saw some scriptures that pointed that out to us in a very summary way. Point number two, God's providence is detailed. And this is the, whenever I teach on divine providence, this is the pivot point that I love to get to. I always enjoy this pivot point the absolute most because I know that this is the point that will start to dismantle and to bring down your objections and your concerns and your resistance to this doctrine. Not that I think that you're actively opposed to it. You just haven't had the opportunity to work it out, maybe, for some of us until now. I know this is what changed my life maybe some 15 or 20 years ago. And I want to tell you, I just want to say again, this was after I had finished all of my seminary training. It was after that that I came to understand this in a way that brought power and comfort to my heart because... Because what was happening was this. Just kind of go on a little tangent here with the sake of a little personal, personal illustration. My mind was haunted by the what-ifs from the past. What if I had made a different decision than the one that I made? What if I had, what if I had chosen this particular career than staying where, where I was at? had very practical implications one direction that I refused to go down would have taken me into a whole realm of ministry that's much different than what I, I now enjoy and what I now have. And I said no to that. And I had reasons for it, but, you know, the way life was going at the time, it, it didn't look like maybe that was really the best decision. And I certainly had critics that were saying, why did you do what you did? Why did you decide what you did there? At least those voices were in my mind. And so I'm driving to work day after day, 45-minute one-way commute, and I'm dealing, and these questions are just assaulting and haunting me. 
What if? What if? What if? Did I make a mistake? And in the course of that, I was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, you know, and, and in the Sermon on the Mount, the doctrine of divine providence comes up. And in the course of studying that, there was, there was a distinct aha moment where I realized that God is directing, even if I had made a mistake, God was in control of it. God was directing that. God was guiding even in, if I had made a mistake, it didn't matter because God was working through that to direct my, even my mistakes. I don't consider it a mistake now. But God was directing even my mistakes to accomplish his will. God is directing even my failures to accomplish his will. God is directing even medical problems to accomplish his will. Financial reversals to accomplish his will. Go on and on and on through it. And you come back and you tie. Here's the thing, beloved, is that you tie every detail of life that has ever troubled you right back to that opening statement that God is directing all things to accomplish his will so that nothing that has ever happened to you or that will ever happen to you is something that occurs to you outside of the providence of God. And if God is the God of eternal, sovereign, infinite, great, sacrificial love that we saw last time, then you see that this that your entire life is being directed under the hands of a God of infinite love who could only have your good purposes and your, your good in, in the end in mind. And you don't have to understand how individual things work out. There are a lot of these things that are beyond our understanding. Your job is to understand and believe what Scripture says about the prior point, that God is actually like this, that God actually does that, and then the individual failures or mistakes or sins even of your life, somehow they fit in that broader picture of God's overriding providence of all. And so the pivot point here is to see that it's not just simply that God's providence is broad, but that God's providence is detailed. You see, it's one thing to say that God controls everything, to say that God is sovereign, it's another thing to list individually, separately, the matters that are under his hand from Scripture. And what I like to say, what I think is this, is that, that the relentless nature of the details that Scripture ascribed to the providence of God, the, the cumulative impact of that is what brings the power of it to your heart. It's no longer abstract, simply left at the broad level, you see scripture working at this out at, at every level of detail in life and human existence. So let's look at that for a little bit. God's providence is detailed. In what way? Well, first of all, over nature. God's providence is over nature, by which we mean that God rules over the created world. God rules over the created world. Let me invite you to turn back. You have to pick one passage among many. So we might as well go to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Be 
beginning in verse 7 is where we'll pick it up. Providence is a doctrine which produces praise in the believing heart. And in Psalm 147, verse 7, it says this. You see it there in front of you. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises to our God on the lyre. Who? Well, what does this God do? Why should I sing to him with thanksgiving? Well, let me tell you, the psalmist says. What this God, who this God is, what he does, he does this. He covers the heavens with clouds, who provides rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens which cry. Drop down to verse 16. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts forth his ice as fragments. Who can stand before his cold? He sends forth his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters to flow. Scripture attributes the course of nature not to an impersonal force that some people would call Mother Nature. No, Scripture attributes the course of nature to the hand of God. It's not independent of the hand of God. The biological or climatological processes are not independent of God. He is working through them to accomplish his will and to direct what he wants to happen. The regular cycles of nature and astronomy are the means that God has chosen to normally operate the universe. Science is possible because God upholds all things systematically. And so God's providence is over nature in the course of the winds, in the course of the growth of grass. Now, within nature, you see something secondly, over the animal kingdom. God's providence is over the animal kingdom. Within nature, we see God's care for animals. Look at Psalm 104. And I realize that we're just bouncing on the very tops of the waves here and not, and not exploring anything in any depth whatsoever. Psalm 104, verse 24. says, O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There is the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both great and small. There the ships move along, and Leviathan, which you have formed to sport in it. Look at this, he's talking about the seas. And where does he go from there? In verse 27, he says, They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to the dust. Here is God presented as ruling over the sea, the animals within the sea, and and feeding them and providing for them. And the testimony of Scripture, beloved, is this, is that animals live, eat, and die in the providence of God. Isn't this what Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, verse 26? He said, consider the birds of the air, how your Father feeds them. 
In Matthew 10, verse 29, he said, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from the hand of your father. Well, let that sink in and think about that for a moment. God's broad providence is including animals that we consider insignificant. What do we care if a sparrow dies? That's not even important to us. What do we care if a bird eats or not? That doesn't matter to us. That doesn't affect anything of of ours. That's off our radar. It's It's of no consequence. And yet scripture repeatedly points to these things and says that God's hand is what's happening even to that level of insignificance of his created order. Now, we stop there. We step back from there. We slow down and we let that sink in. God's providence is broad over all things, said again and again four times just in Colossians 1. All things, all things, all things, all things. Our unbelieving hearts might say, yeah, but what about, you know, our unbelieving hearts are tempted not to take that seriously, not to take it absolutely, and to dismiss the thought that God would be involved in the life and death and animal processes of the most insignificant of creatures. And yet here is scripture asserting it, And not only asserting it, asserting it as a grounds of praise to God. Now, let me me go on to number three. I can draw out the implications of this, you know, later. God's providence applies, thirdly, to seemingly chance events. Seemingly chance, air quote, events. The classic text on this is Proverbs 16, verse 33. Proverbs 16, 33, where it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Our equivalent would be like the rolling of dice or the flipping of a coin. That God's providence is at work in what comes up in that. Now, Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator from a few hundred years ago, said that this, and I quote. He said, and listen to this carefully. This quote, this quote had a had just just was like multiple spotlights on my mind when I read it in this time. The divine providence orders and directs those things which to us are perfectly casual and fortuitous. Nothing comes to pass by chance, nor is an event determined by a blind fortune, but everything happens by the will and counsel of God. What man has neither eye nor hand in, God is intimately concerned in. End quote so that you have this this massively broad presentation of God's providence, and then it's brought down to the most insignificant of details. But we can go from that micro view of animals and chance events, we can go from a micro view to the macro view, and just briefly state, fourthly, as we look at these details of God's providence, 
nature, the animal kingdom, chance events, let's add a fourth one to it, is that God rules over the nations. He rules over the nations. And I'll just read this passage to you from Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and he establishes kings. And so world rulers rise and fall at God's command. He is, he is at work in the processes that elevate them and which bring them down. Donald Trump became president of the United States under the hand of the providence of God. And by same way and giving fair and equal time, Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House under the same providential hand of God. It pleased God to give that authority to them. And all of the fluctuations of politics and whatever else we think about politics and voting and what our government should or should not do, we have to understand that the men who hold the positions of authority hold it because God has, in one way or another, established that and was pleased to give it to them. It's breathtaking. And you could, you could summarize it all, you could summarize everything that we're saying here in what seems to be a truism. When we say that God is God, we mean that God is God. We mean that God is over all. God is at work in everything absolutely that ever happens. And so I like to think about it this way. I think about providence on a spectrum, you know, polar opposites, you could say, or different or poles at the end of, of, uh, of a line. On the one hand, you have, you have details that are of, of no concern to you whatsoever. I have to admit that I don't care what happens to sparrows in Oregon. It's of no consequence to me. It does not affect my life one bit. On the other hand, you have international affairs over which you and I are affected by, but we have no control over. What, what politicians do in Washington and in, and in the State House, it affects us, but as a practical matter, little people like you and me, we don't have any control over it but they're doing things that affect our lives. That matters to me, but I don't have any control over it. My hand is not on the lever of power there. Insignificant things, most significant things, what scripture is telling us is that as we look at that spectrum of events and from our perspective significance, what scripture is telling us is you look at that spectrum and understand that God rules over all of it. God is God. He rules. He's supreme. It's a different message, a different subject of scripture, but God is even over sinful, evil things that happen. He works and accomplishes his purposes even through the evil things that happen. Peter acknowledged this in Acts chapter 2. When he told the Jews, he said, you nailed Christ to the cross by the hands of ungodly men according to God's predetermined plan. 
God had planned for the crucifixion of Christ to be executed through the sinful, evil actions of those who were his contemporaries at the time. So that God was able and God did work out salvation even as men were sinning against laws, that, against justice and against murder when they executed Christ as they did. God was at work through it all. Let that sink into you. It's almost like a, it's, it's almost like a, you know, a, you know something, something new is entered into the room to affect the environment in which we live. The very air that we breathe is affected by this. This is the environment in which we live. Whether we recognize or acknowledge it or trust in it or not, the reality is, is that God is like this. It's breathtaking. And there's something that I want to say that those of you that are of a persuasion to affirm the sovereignty of God, there's something that I want to say at this point that will lead into point number three. Part of, what, part of what made me realize that I was missing something many years ago on this matter of divine providence wasn't just my personal experience of, of questioning things from the past and I had no settled peace over over the past, I noticed something in the realms in which I, I moved. Not talking about necessarily leadership, but just people in the realm of the former church that I used to be a part of. With people whom I love and respect. I'm not saying anything negative. I'm just making a pastoral observation here. And I, I think that this is undeniable. You can find true Christians not yet sanctified in all the ways that God would have them be sanctified, who will affirm the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And, and they'll, you know, and you could have a discussion like this, and they'd be at the forefront of affirming the sovereignty of God. I believe God is sovereign, and, you know, I believe the doctrines of grace, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to personal trials that they're facing, it seems like there is, a, there is a disconnect there. You can affirm the doctrine of the sovereignty of God in a fatalistic way that simply says, yes, I believe the sovereignty of God, but I, I can't do anything about my present circumstances. Yes, I believe, I believe in, in God's providential control over things, but, but look, at, look at the situation, look at the situation of my family. I, I don't know. There, my point is this, is that there is no joy or serenity in their expressions of the sovereignty of God. They can affirm it as an abstract theological matter, but somehow they're not deriving personal comfort, strength, and trust from it. And I want to tell you, something's wrong there. This is not understanding the sovereignty of God at all. If... It leaves a professing believer in a position of discouragement, despair, and doubt. Something's wrong with that picture. Well, that leads us into our third point, then, is that God's providence is personal. 
God's providence is personal. I love this. And I say, as a friend, as a sympathetic pastor to you in your believing positions in life, perhaps some of, uh, some of you, maybe not in Christ, but peering in from the outside, I invite you to Christ by faith. But for those of you that are, are, that are believing Christians, you have been born again. You do know Christ. You do trust him. You are sympathetic and receptive to what Scripture says, but you're like I was, and still sometimes stumble into, where you, you just don't find necessarily the immediate comfort in God's providence that's available and that should mark your life. Well, this third point is for you, is that God, God's providence is personal, by which I mean that God has personally guided every detail of your life that brings you to the point at which you're sitting here this morning. The present life that you have is the life that God has given to you. And you take that and you go forward by faith from here and it releases you and frees you from having to second guess past decisions, it frees you from the resentment over the wrongs that people have done to you that maybe altered the course of your life. It frees you from an oppressive sorrow that said, but I wasn't ready to say goodbye to that person. I wasn't ready for this one to die. I've been there too, like many of you have been. Providence softens the edge of all of that and gives you a unifying perspective on all of it that lets you take a deep breath and just say, whatever the past was and however all of that gets sorted out, this is where God has placed me today and I can trust him going forward even if I can't explain everything about the past. Look at Psalm 139. As we consider this, Psalm 139, we're going to verse 13, and I, I, just, I just want to say to you, my Christian friends, my brother and sister in Christ, is that you and I, you and I can stake our entire life, we can, we can stake everything on this. We can, we can trust everything to the God who is over all. Everything. And we see this from the personal nature of his providence. Look at Psalm, look at Psalm 139, verse 1. I don't always go here at this point, but today I will. He says, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. And you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. You see, once again, the comprehensive nature of it. Scripture uses these exhaustive terms. All my ways are known to you. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. 
You've enclosed me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain to it. God, every aspect of my life, before me, beyond me, above me, below me, your hand is upon me. In the words of Psalm 23, I fear no evil, for you are with me. In the words of Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, you start to read these scriptures from this perspective, and you start to see that this is a pervasive, absolutely comprehensive environment in which we live. So that in verse 13, notice that it didn't even escape the moment of your conception in your mother's womb. Verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Oh God, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God, you ordained the course of my life before I was even conceived. You had determined the parameters of my life before I was born. And I praise you for that. I offer you my worship. I thank you for that. It is a fearful and wonderful thing to realize that I have been made by your hand and that my life has been appointed by your hand and you are intimately acquainted with all of my ways as I walk through this earth to my appointed destination. And then, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you add on top of that that God loved you with this infinite, sovereign, sacrificial love that we talked about last night, we see that this wasn't just an abstract mathematical calculation for God. This wasn't an engineering equation for him that he did this. He ordained all of this in love for you, to do good to you, to display his glory to you, to bring you to a place of the uh, in, in, in final glory to glorify you with Christ and to bless you forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so you have this, if I can call it this, you have this vertical dimension of the salvation of our souls and the forgiveness of our sins and the granting of eternal life according to his to his love, and then you have this horizontal dimension as you're going through life that every dimension is under the guiding hand of his providence, which is controlled and motivated by, you can start to quote it with me, can't you? His sovereign, eternal, great, infinite, sacrificial love. What a position is ours in Christ then. And so as you, as you work this through, and this is what you have to do, and this is where you have to do the work spiritually to bring it home to your own heart and to appropriate it and make, your, make it your own, is that God planned the growth of your bones and the length of your days. In our day and age, we need to realize that that means that God, ex, God assigned the biological sex of everyone 
who was ever born, and that's not to be tampered with. That's not to be changed. These are not mutable characteristics. God assigned sex to each person. Jesus said, the hairs of your head are all numbered. This loving God is at work in every detail of your life from the cradle to the grave. Now, beloved, that means this. This all changes the way that you view the world and whatever has happened or will ever happen to you personally. This takes away the fear of the future when we properly remember it and believe it and trust it because whatever the future brings, it is in the hand of this sovereign God of love who has proven decisively to you that he can be trusted. And so there is no room in the believing heart for anxiety or anxious care over what the future has. Why? Not because we cross our fingers and think, well, it'll all work out in the end. No, it's, it's far more than that. We believe God. We believe the God who is revealed in this book We believe that he is overall, that he is a loving, gracious God, and we're confident that he'll do good to us in the end. No exceptions. We look at the past and we say, man, that that was some rocky terrain there. And I carry the scars of some of those things. But you know what? Even then, God was blessing me. God was directing me to bring me to this point so that I can praise him even for the sorrowful things that happened, not because, they, not because it was good that people sinned against me. That wasn't good. I'm not praising him for sin, because that was a violation of his moral will. But God used even that to accomplish his purposes. Read Joseph, the story of Joseph, Genesis 37 to 50 sometime. And he said, you meant it for evil. He said to his brothers who sold him into slavery, Years later, he could look back on that. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So that even the evil things that were happening in his life were an instrument of good in the overriding providence of God. And so this changes everything. And so let's just work this out with a couple of practical questions, two or three practical questions. I have no idea what what time it is, and you don't need to tell me. So, do you maybe enjoy a good and comfortable life? Life has gone according to the things that have pleased you? Well, understand, in light of the doctrine of divine providence, that those good things have come to you from the hand of God. You should give thanks to him that he has given you a comfortable path in life and has spared you from the sorrow that others have known. Give thanks to God rather than in pride thinking you accomplish things in your career by your own power, for example. God, I'm in this great place, and that's from your hand because your providence is overall, and you've brought me to this place, and God, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. You have been so good to this unworthy sinner. Secondly, Let's look at it from the other perspective. Has life brought you hardship and sadness? 
I've had my own valleys of tears for sure. Well, beloved, I say it gently to you. God has ordered even those things for your life. And it means this, is that you cannot judge the goodness of his providence in the moment of what's happening. When the difficult phone calls come, you need to get over or something's happened to mom. When that moment comes, you're not in a position to judge the goodness or, the, or what's at work in those things. You have to take a broader perspective on it. And even if you're in the midst of it now, in the midst of a difficult job, difficult marriage, difficult parenting, yeah, that's right, we're here on a parenting conference, right? I just remembered that. Providence is your hope that God will ultimately deliver you from it, whatever that means. That God will ultimately bring good from it, even if you don't see what it is, and even if it's not according to what you would prefer it to be. In the midst of your pain, you remember providence, and you do not resent the God who's ordered your circumstances, but rather you seek him, and you submit to him in trust. And you view everything in life through the prism of which we've been discussing here over the past 12 hours or whatever it's been, 18 hours. God, this situation in life is crushing me. But I still trust your eternal, sovereign, great, infinite, sacrificial love. And whatever is happening is somehow filtered to me through that kind of infinite love. It is filtered to me through your infinite providence. And so while I don't understand, I recognize that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I trust you enough to accept this set of circumstances from you, even though it's not what I have, would have chosen. You see, beloved, your sorrow is all the more reason to trust his providence. God is at work even if you do not consciously sense it. And when it comes to your children that are growing up and advancing in life, some of them walking away from the faith that you tried so diligently to teach them. And the thing that you... that. I mean, there's nothing that breaks a heart quite like that for a father and especially for a mother's heart who gave her, who gave her life and now to see her children walking away. This, this happens. This is life. This is far beyond anything in this room. We come back to this and the refuge of our heart is that sovereign love of God at the cross and the providence in it all. It says, God, I trust you for who you are completely. And as you look to the future, you adopt this position of humble trust that says, says, God, I'm going to give you time. I'm not going to judge this according to what I see in the moment. I will give you time to work out your providence. Because I believe one day I will say with the Apostle Paul, even if I can't see it now, 
we'll look back when it's all finished and done and we'll say that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, right? And did you hear the phrase again? What does it say? God causes what? All things to work together for good to those who love God. How is this a mind for parenting? You view everything that happens in the course of the development of your children through this. God has given you the children that you have. He's given you those particular children in a way that that you are precisely the parents that he wanted those children to have. And they are the children that he precisely wanted you to have. And in your parenting mistakes in the past, God, I'm just going to trust you for that. The things that went well, God, thank you for working that out in such a pleasing way to my heart. And the fact that God is this God of sovereign love and he is this God of absolute providence means that we have a certainty that he will keep his promise to us. He is true, he is love, and he is overall. Let's pray together. I guess I would ask whether you know this God who is found through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ died and rose again for the sins of everyone who believes in him. I invite you to repentance and faith in him if you do not know him. Father, as we gather as believing people in Christ, we just commit ourselves to these things. We submit to them, Father. And through the, through the churning of our emotions as we think through the things of life in light of these things, sometimes with, cheer, with tears running down our cheeks, Father, we look up to you in faith. And while our faith may be weak, it may, it may have its defects in it, Father, we say we believe you. Help our unbelief. We trust you. Help us when we stagger under the load of this life. May you bless these brothers and sisters in Christ with the fullness of the knowledge of who you are, that they might find their rest in you. Father, and go through life with a new dimension of joy, serenity, and peace because they believe what you say about yourself in your most holy word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.